Oh, good morning, everybody. How's everybody this morning? Yesterday was beautiful, except for the I guess for a little bit of rain, right? But uh, yesterday was beautiful. We had a beautiful day. I think we're going to have a beautiful day today. And we want to just thank you for coming out this morning. I uh, want to welcome our uh, guests who are here for the first time. I want to welcome our folks who have been here for 30 or 40 years. Um, either way, we are so happy and so blessed that you are here this morning. And before, uh, before I get into the, the sermon, I just want to tell you guys a little bit about myself. Uh, some of you already know this, uh, but for most of my life, I've been an actor. And I know some of you are shocked because I'm such an introvert. But it started in, in, in seventh grade, and we had Spirit Week. You guys, we still have Spirit Week, right, at school? Uh, and we had Spirit Week, and our Spirit Week theme for the day was the 50s. And I loved Happy Days. Anybody watch that, Happy Days? Yeah, we still watch that. So I dressed up in a leather jacket, and I had the T-shirt and the jeans, and of course I, I carried the leather jacket because my next door neighbor convinced me I would look a lot cooler if I had a pack of cigarettes rolled up in the, the one sleeve. You guys remember that, right? Yeah? Okay, so you got a little bit of a picture. What's that? Yeah. Um, so I won second place out of the whole school for my costume. So which I was very happy about, I got a whole five bucks. Um, but what, what was really important was that the drama teacher was one of the judges for this contest. Her name was Mrs. Owen. She's probably one of the only like, school teacher's names that I remember. She was just that impactful for me. But Mrs. Owen approached me and asked me, would you be interested in playing Fonzie in this original show that she was writing and directing, she was doing this like kind of variety show and they were gonna have musical acts and this, this whole kind of skit with Fonzie and everything. And I said, sure, why not? And of course, from then on, at the age of 10, I was probably on stage more than I wasn't. Um, for years, there wasn't much time that went by when I wasn't uh, rehearsing a play or performing in a play or in a musical. Uh, I've done television where I was on Homicide, Life in the Street, where I played a murderer who killed his father by dropping a TV on his head while he was sleeping. I have played uh, the drunken knight, philanderer, and all-around selfish guy, Sir John Falstaff from William Shakespeare. I've played Dr. Phil. <laughs> I have been a pirate. And of course, some of you know, I also play Santa Claus in the winter. I've played slaves, I've played kings, genies, I've played a ghost. Let me emphasize something for you. I am not any of those things. I am not a genie. I am not a ghost. And we're all familiar with what actors do, right? Actors are people who play other people. And sometimes those other people are very close to who they are, right? There was a movie that came out just this year uh, with Nicolas Cage. And Nicolas Cage plays this character named Nicolas Cage. He's basically playing this fictionalized version of himself, so really close. He kind of <laughs> knows himself, so it's really easy for him. But sometimes people are really far away from who the actor is in real life, right? So did I mention I'm not a ghost? But I played one on stage. 
But in every case, the actor wants you to believe that he or she is something that they are not. And the outstanding actors, of course, they succeed in convincing us. The not-so-great actors, well, Pauly Shore. But in ancient times, acting looked a little bit different. Actors performed on stage as themselves, and usually they would recite or sing about history, right? So it was more, uh, not so much lecture, but just a dramatic reading of history. And then in the 6th century BC, a man named Thespis became the first person to appear on stage playing somebody else. He did not play himself, he was playing a character. And you can kind of see uh, in, in his hand, he's got this mask up here. This was around the time when performers would wear these huge masks over their faces. And they would portray various characters, right? So we've got, you know, happy evil guy here, and then the king, there's a, a, an evil queen over here. And you guys, of course, are familiar with the comedy and tragedy masks, right, that, that are just all over the place. These were the things that they would wear. And they would be able to then um, play different people. They would be able to play different genders because women weren't allowed to perform on stage in ancient Greece. And the masks also served kind of as a megaphone. So they, they created them so that when uh, you spoke, you were louder because they didn't have microphones back then. So we had this kind of megaphone system underneath. So there's a Greek word that defines a person who would wear a mask and who would be an actor. And that word is hypocrites. And this literally means an interpreter from underneath. It means people who play a role behind a mask, showing the world one face while wearing another underneath. And of course, we know this word as hypocrite today. And a hypocrite is someone who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. So, the definitions changed a little bit over the centuries. But basically, historically, the term hypocrite was applied to religious people who said one thing and who did another. And we read in the Bible, Jesus calls uh, religious leaders of the day hypocrites. Quite often, in fact, he calls them hypocrites. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus heals a woman who had a crippling disease. And she had this disease for 18 years. Basically, she was unable to straighten herself up. So she walked around like this for 18 years. And she heard that Jesus was going to be at the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And she went to the synagogue. And she stood outside and waited for Jesus to come out. And in Luke 13, starting in verse 14, we read, But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath. Now this guy was super religious. 
right? He was all about keeping the Sabbath day. I mean, that's one of God's Ten Commandments. Keep the Sabbath day. Make it holy. God had commanded that we do no work on the Sabbath day. And obviously, this leader of the synagogue felt that healing somebody was most definitely work. But Jesus, the son of the God who gave us the Ten Commandments, had another interpretation of what the Sabbath was supposed to be. And in verse 15 of Luke chapter 13, we read, Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And Jesus is saying, according to your interpretation, synagogue leader, you break the Sabbath every week. You untie your animal, you lead it to water, that's work. But you have no problem doing that. I'm standing here healing somebody who has been bent over and crippled for 18 years. Somebody that you probably haven't done much to help at all. But I'm the one breaking the Sabbath? Jesus gave another example, like the next chapter, chapter 14, verse 5. He said, which of you having a son or an ox, and I have both, sons who are oxes, Having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? So if my son falls into a hole on the Sabbath day, am I going to just leave him there until the next day? Well, yes, that's what I'm supposed to do. Because getting him out would be work. Would I get him out on the Sabbath day? Absolutely, I would. Absolutely. You would break the Sabbath to help your child. You'd break the Sabbath to protect your property. This is what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders. But you consider it a sin to heal someone on the Sabbath day. You hypocrites. Saying one thing and then doing another. One of the primary complaints about Christians today is that we are hypocrites. Christians preach about sins, they tell you how evil sins are, and then they turn around and commit those very sins that they want to preach. And they do. I'll be the first one to stand up here and admit it. Think about preachers who've been caught in adultery. Or preachers who have embezzled money from their churches to finance their own lifestyles. Now these are like the high profile things, right? We see these, we get them in the news, we see them on social media. And of course, the world looks at this and says, you hypocrites. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we are truly willing to look inside ourselves, every single one of us, at one time or another, is a hypocrite. Every single one of us. But we Christians, 
We're good at putting on that mask, right? We're good at walking into church on a Sunday morning after having stayed out doing whatever on a Saturday night. Good morning, God bless you. How are you this morning? Oh, it's so good to see you. God be praised. This is a wonderful morning. It happens. Sometimes we're just miserable and we put on what my wife calls church face, where we're tired and we're miserable, but when somebody walks up to us, we're like, hi. <laughs> and our mouths stretch as far as possible to show the smile. But we're Christians. We are good at putting a mask over our faces to hide what's really behind it. And we have come up with some great bumper sticker theology that helps us to excuse our hypocrisy. One of the most popular, one of the most famous is this. Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. I will say it is true. Christians are not perfect. If you believe that you are a perfect Christian, you need to find another church because this is not the church for you. We fall into temptation. We sin. We do. Maybe every day, maybe multiple times a day. But are we willing to tell the truth about ourselves? Are we willing to go up to a fellow Christian and say, I'm really screwing up. I'm, I'm really having a hard time with this temptation. Every time I'm tempted to do this, I can't stop myself. I can't help myself. I just do it. See, that's being an authentic Christian. Not walking in after spending a week of sinning and saying, oh, life is perfect. God is good. I do nothing wrong. That's hypocritical. And we look at this bumper sticker, Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. I hate that, I hate that phrase. And I don't use hate very much, but I hate that phrase. We're just forgiven. We're not just forgiven. Because when I hear that phrase, Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. What I hear in my mind is, oh well, I've sinned again, guess I'll go ask God to forgive me so I can go on and sin again the next time, and you know what, then he'll forgive me again so I can just live the way I want to live. That's what that sounds like to me. We're just forgiven. It almost sounds like forgiveness is this cheap, like, keychain that God gives out every time we pray. Here, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. This is not the way that Christianity is meant to be. Now, we've talked about what sin is, and you guys that have been here for a while, you've heard me talk about what sin is. And basically, we've boiled it down to sin being anything that is not pleasing to God. And the Apostle Paul, he kind of expounds on this idea of, of things that are not pleasing to God. Um, and he gives just a slightly different uh, version of this and gets a little specific. In Galatians chapter 5, uh, Paul is talking about our freedom in Christ when we become followers of Jesus Christ, when we are forgiven, when we ask forgiveness for our sins, we make Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We have this freedom 
from sin and we have this freedom to live the best life that we can live for Christ. And he assures us that after we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, lives within us. And in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 17, Paul gives us a sort of uh, definition of sin. Paul writes, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Sin, Paul suggests, is anything that goes against the desires of the Holy Spirit. He calls these sins the desires of the flesh. Now you can imagine the desires of the flesh over here and the Holy Spirit over here and they were kind of in this cosmic tug of war for us. And the desires of the flesh want to pull us over here to sin and the desires of the Spirit want to pull us over here to freedom from sin. So we can kind of imagine this tug of war being waged. And we become hypocrites when we say we want these things over here. We want the things of God. But the way we act is certainly not in accordance to that. We want the things of the flesh. And Paul tells us, he lays out this whole laundry list of desires of the flesh in case there's any question about what he's talking about. He goes on starting in Galatians 5.19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This is not a comprehensive list and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if we look at this list as Christians, we just take a look at this list and we say, yep, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. All of these things are sin. Now I want you to remember something here. Paul is not writing to non-Christians. Paul is writing to the church. He is writing to Christians here. And as Christians, we'll agree that these things are sin, and then we'll turn around and do them anyway. And worse, we might try to justify them. We might try to apply some of that bumper sticker theology that says, well, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. And when I sin, I'm just going to ask for forgiveness again. And now I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. When we sin, we ought to ask for forgiveness. But I'm talking about this attitude of, I can sin anytime I want, and God has to forgive me. But let's take a look at a couple of these things. Let's, let's see how we justify some of these things. And we're not going to go with the big ones today. All right? We're going to go with something right in the middle there. 
Let's talk about enmity. Enmity is the state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. Well, that doesn't sound like Christians at all, does it? Oh, man, not only are we actively opposed or hostile to people or things, sometimes we're downright proud of it. If you're at all involved in the political discussion in this country, you are proud to stand on one side or another and actively oppose and be hostile towards the other side. But throughout history, Christians have been actively hostile. Christians have persecuted and killed homosexuals in the name of God. Christians have bombed abortion clinics and killed abortion doctors in the name of family values. And we might think, yeah, but those people aren't really Christian, those bombers and those people that persecute other people. Or we might think, well, yeah, but that's not me. I would never do any of those horrible things. But do we condemn them publicly, openly, or do we keep quiet and think, I don't want to get involved? Or worse, well, they had it coming. About idolatry. Idolatry is another one. It's defined as extreme admiration, love, or reverence for someone or something. Steelers fans? <laughs> Ravens fans? Remember those pastors I talked about a few minutes ago? Those ones that get caught in, in sin? Recently there was this pastor who got up in front of his church and confessed that he had committed adultery. Now on the surface of this, I mean... If, if, if something like this were to happen, I would hope that any pastor caught in adultery, caught in embezzling, caught in any sin would get up and confess to their church because they're responsible for their church. But this pastor got up, he told a story about how this adultery happened only one time, or not only one time, but only with one person. And it was 20 years ago. And he felt the need to confess this sin. And after he finished speaking and after he finished confessing and there was even like a little round of applause that the pastor got up and was so brave to confess this sin. The woman who the pastor didn't know was there got up and took the microphone and told the whole story the woman got up and said, it wasn't 20 years ago, it was 27 years ago, which made me 16 when you took my virginity in your church office. And that sexual relationship lasted for years. Guess how many people in the church after all of this happened stood up and surrounded someone? Who do you think they surrounded, the woman? They got up and surrounded the pastor, gave him hugs, prayed for him. You know why? He was their idol. 
they refused to believe that this pastor could really be that monstrous. And besides, it happened 27 years ago. Who cares anymore? These are the attitudes of the hypocritical Christian. We will gloss over, we will ignore sin if it makes us uncomfortable, if it affects one of our idols. This woman was almost completely shut out. You see a video, and as she's walking back, one or two people give her a hug, tell her that she was brave. But all these people in the church up front with the pastor surrounding him. And I'm not saying this pastor shouldn't be forgiven. I'm not saying that this pastor should do anything one way or another. What I'm saying is idolatry happens in the church. Here's the thing that we probably don't realize. When we act on the desires of the flesh, we're not just committing that sin. We're not just guilty of one of the things on Paul's list. The person who is envious Envy is one of those things on the list. The person who is envious is also likely to cause enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and dissensions and divisions because they're envious. Because they want something that maybe they're not supposed to have and they go after it. And it's not just the sin of envy. Person who is jealous may also be prone to sensuality or sexual immorality or fits of anger or strife and the list goes on and on. Paul didn't write this list as a laundry list. He wrote this list as a grouping. These are the things that happen when we go after the desires of the flesh. There's good news though. Paul also writes about the antidote to going after the sins of the flesh. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Again, you've got to remember, he's talking to Christians here. Walk by the Spirit. When we walk with the Spirit, we don't want to do these things on Paul's list. We don't want to, to, to gratify the desires of the flesh, because if we walk with the Spirit, if we live that life that Christ wants us to live, the results are going to be different. And Paul tells us in Galatians 5, starting in verse 22, how different they're going to be. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. These are the things that are the result of our walking with the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I want to point out something here. Here's that, here's that list. Paul's not talking about the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. He is talking about the fruit, singular, 
This is different from when we read in the Bible about the gifts of the Spirit, because we all know everybody gets different gifts the way the Spirit gives them to us. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is the fruit of the Spirit, which is the manifestation of the Spirit in us as we act on the world as we do the things that we do and say the things that we say. If we're walking in the Spirit, this should be the result. This is what people should see, and they should see it all. Every single thing, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you ever wonder, if you're a Christian and you're sitting here today, do you ever wonder if you're succeeding as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you ever wonder, do you ever sit there and say, I wonder if I'm really a Christian? I wonder if I'm really doing the things that God wants me to do. And if you can find that your thoughts and your words and your deeds show this to the world, then you can be confident that you're succeeding as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Paul says so in verse 24. He says, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Of course, our flesh and the spirit are in constant battles for our souls. And yes, as Christians, we're not perfect. And every time that we do fall, every time that we do sin, we have to go humbly before the Father and ask forgiveness. But not with the attitude of, until I do it again. We need to go with the attitude of, God, please forgive me. Give me the strength to never do it again. Let the Holy Spirit win the tug of war. And we must decide every moment of every day that we are going to walk in the Spirit and that we are going to crucify the desires of the flesh. And I love that Paul uses this word crucify because when we think of crucify, we think of Jesus Christ. And when we think of that crucifixion, we think of the most barbaric, painful, humiliating thing that has ever happened. And we want to do the same thing to the desires of the flesh. We want to nail it to the cross and watch it die. That's what we want to do. In Romans 8, Paul talks about the flesh and the spirit. In verse 7 and 8, he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But in verse 11, he goes on and we're told that the spirit does something else. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit has the power to raise dead bodies. What makes you think the Holy Spirit doesn't have the power to help you overcome your temptations? 
What makes you think that the Holy Spirit doesn't have the power to help you crucify the desires of the flesh? He gives us that power. Are you sitting here this morning feeling defeated because you have a sin in your life that you just can't stop? Every time you're tempted and you try to fight and you try to fight and it doesn't work. The next time you are tempted to sin, the next time you are tempted to satisfy the desires of the flesh, call out, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, take this temptation away. Spirit has the power. You got to stop telling yourself the lie that there's nothing you can do. There is something you can do. You can call out to the Holy Spirit and you can ask him for the power to overcome whatever sin you are living in today. You believe that? You believe that you can crucify your sins through the power of the Holy Spirit? Because that's what God told us. That's what God promised us. We can live a life with the fruit of the Spirit. We can live a life through power in the Holy Spirit to crucify the desires of our flesh. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you we thank you for this day, we thank you for this place, we thank you for these people who are here today or who are watching on video. Father, we are not perfect. You know that we are not perfect, but we are not just forgiven. Father, help us, those of us who have the attitude of until I sin again, Help us to crucify that thought. Let us cry out to your Holy Spirit to give us the power to defeat sin, the power to defeat temptation, and the power to live a life that shows the world that we are yours. Father, we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die. Father, we thank you for creating us. Give us the power. Give us the help that we need to live the life that's going to be pleasing to you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Please do not walk out of this building this morning thinking that you have to be a slave to your sin. Call out for the Holy Spirit to help you defeat, to help you crucify those desires of the flesh that are keeping you from living the life that God wants you to live. God bless you this week.